0: Begin this morning by taking our text from the book of Ephesians, chapter four. We'll read verses thirty-one and thirty-two. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake. Hath forgiven you. This morning with the Lord's help we'll consider a very important subject. That subject is forgiveness. You know if you had to pick one thing or one word that would describe the whole gospel message, you could sum it up with that one word forgiveness. Forgiveness is really at the heart and soul of the gospel. God's whole plan of salvation centers around forgiveness. Even as we come into the Christmas season, the whole account of Christmas is really uh, a story of forgiveness. You read there in Matthew as it begins that account of the birth of Christ. It said that one would conceive and bring forth a son. They would call his name Jesus for he would save the people from their sins. So we see from the very beginning this, uh, forgiveness taking place. You know, a lot of books have been written on the subject. There's a lot of different perspectives regarding forgiveness, but we're really only interested in one, what one book has to say about it. And really, there's only one perspective that truly matters regarding forgiveness, and that is the Lord's perspective. So, With God's help, again this morning, we'll examine the subject of forgiveness from a biblical perspective. You know, forgiveness is defined in different ways. It can be ceasing to allow feelings of resentment. Forgiveness could be letting go of our right to retaliate. We think of forgiveness as a pardon for a debt. But forgiveness is actually also payment for a debt. You know, when one person is forgiven, another assumes their debt. For example, if Brother John owed me $1,500, this is hypothetical, by the way, he doesn't owe me 1500 And if he did, I wouldn't call him out in church. But anyway, it's a hypothetical situation. If Brother John owed me $1,500 and he came to me and said, I, I can't pay you back. And I said, that's okay. I forgive you. The moment I say that, what does it cost me? It cost me $1,500. I assume the debt. It didn't cost Brother John anything, but it cost me $1,500. In the same way, when Christ forgives us, He assumes our debt. Sin is the debt that we owe. And we could never, ever repay that debt. So Jesus by saving us and forgiving us, he takes our sin upon us. He assumes our debt. Second Corinthians four twenty one says, "For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him." He became sin for us. Ephesians one seven says, "In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches." of His grace. So we can see forgiveness is payment of a debt. It's good to understand where and when forgiveness takes place. Where is forgiveness necessary? Well, wherever a wrong has occurred, that makes forgiveness necessary. Obviously, if nothing has been, uh, no wrong has been committed, uh, forgiveness isn't necessary, but We could say, then, wherever a wrong has occurred or offense has occurred, that's where forgiveness needs to take place. When does forgiveness take place? Well, forgiveness takes place when repentance takes place. Acts 3.19 says, Repent ye, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. So we see it's necessary when a wrong is committed And it is accomplished when repentance takes place. I'm always reminded of my Grandpa Marvin's testimony when I think about repentance. And he told about being a young man on a farm in Mississippi. And this was during World War II. And he said he became afraid and fearful that if he were drafted into the service of his country, he would have to possibly die on the battlefield. Well, he wasn't a coward. He wasn't afraid of defending his country, but the thought of death and facing the Lord terrified him because he knew he wasn't ready to meet the Lord. And as he talked to the Lord about that, finally he said one day God just asked him a question. He said, what are you going to do about those old sins? And he said, Lord, I'll forsake him. I'll quit him. I won't do them anymore. He repented. And in that moment he said the peace of God just flooded his soul and he knew he knew he had been forgiven. He didn't. Nobody had to tell him. He knew God bore witness with his spirit that he had been indeed forgiven. So if forgiveness is only necessary when a wrong is committed, then I guess we could say the one who needs no forgiveness is the one who's never done anything wrong. Anyone like that here today? No. The fact is we know the Word of God tells us In Psalm 51, 5, it says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 3, verse 10 says, There's none righteous, not one. tells us later in that chapter, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64, 6 says that we're all unclean. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, and our iniquities have taken us away. So you might say, by default, or by the fact that we're born into this world, puts us in a position where every one of us need forgiveness. We're sinners by birth, but we remain sinners by choice. By refusing Christ's offer of forgiveness, we forfeit our opportunity to be forgiven. But the good news is we don't have to remain in our sins. We don't have to go around in life in an unforgiven condition. The Lord provided the remedy for that. It says it's not in His will that any should perish. The Lord's long-suffering to us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the wonderful news is forgiveness is available for all. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions or wrong ideas regarding forgiveness. One misconception might be this thought that it's only necessary when someone asks for it. Well, Jesus prayed for those to the Father. said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He extended a spirit of forgiveness to those that would never ask forgiveness. You know, Man's idea of forgiveness is often, well, they offended me, so they can come to me. And when they ask me forgiveness, I might, if I'm good and ready, I might forgive them. Well, what did Jesus say about forgiveness? We could read a couple of different scenarios here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. It says, Wherefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So Jesus was letting us know here, if our actions have offended somebody, whether they're intentional or not, we're to go to that brother, we're to make it right before we expect to offer the Lord anything. He says we need to do that. So when we are the offender, it's our responsibility to go and try to make it right. And most of us would say, well, that that seems reasonable. You know, if our children do something and they know it's wrong, and we know it's wrong, we encourage them, say you're sorry. So that... Let's us know if we've been the one to offend, we need to try to do what we can to make it right. But you know, then Jesus carries it a step further. Matthew chapter 18, verse 5. The Lord gives us a different situation here. I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. It says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If she, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now it's telling us if our brother trespasses against us. We're the offended ones. We're the injured party. How easy is it to go to that person to try to work on forgiveness when we know in our hearts it's their fault? Very difficult to do, but the Lord says we're to do that. You know, the problem is sometimes that brother may have offended us and he doesn't even realize he's done anything. He may be keeping him in a debtor's prison for a crime. He doesn't even realize he's committed. So the Lord instructs us, whether we are the offender or the offended, we need to take the initiative to make it right. You know, that's the same way Jesus forgave us when we were saved and reconciled to God. Who initiated that? The Bible says we love Him because He first loved us. God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 6.44 says, No man can come to me except the Father which sent me, Draw him. So we see it's Jesus that takes that first step towards forgiveness and reconciliation. He tells the story of the shepherd who leaves the 90 and 9 to go find that one lost sheep. Again, that's a picture of Christ and his forgiveness toward us. So we know, according to God's word, if we want to forgive biblically, whether we are the offender or the offended, we need to take the initiative to seek forgiveness. You know, forgiveness doesn't mean that trust is automatically restored. Forgiveness is a gift that is freely given. Trust is a privilege that's earned over time. You can forgive somebody without necessarily having to trust them. You know, if there's somebody who are a repeat offender and Every time you were with that person, they stomped on your foot. You can forgive them, but you might want to set some parameters. Give that person some boundaries. It doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven, but again, again, forgiveness is a gift. You don't have to earn a gift. Respective is a privilege, and we know trust is a privilege that you have to earn, so there's a difference there. But forgiveness gives the offender the opportunity to work towards restoring that trust. So when we forgive, we leave the door open. We leave them with an opportunity to try to rebuild that trust. You know, when it comes to extending forgiveness, some people might think once is all that's required. How many of us have said, well, we will forgive them this one time. It's one time, but if they blow it, if they misstep, they're done. Well, Peter had a question for Jesus. He said, came to Christ, he said, How oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Peter probably thought he was being pretty generous with his forgiveness there. Seven times. But Jesus said, I say not seven times, but until 70 times seven. 490 times. You know, on that 491st time, they're done. Well, that's not what Jesus was saying. He was trying to get the point across that true forgiveness is indefinite and continuous. Forgiveness doesn't keep a tally sheet or a record of wrongs. There's this very popular idea in the world today. Many have bought into this idea that they can forgive themselves. Well, It is true that we shouldn't let the wrongs that God has forgiven us for become a stumbling block to us. We don't want to get caught in that old quagmire of of trying to get away from our past. When God has forgiven us of those past sins, we need to move on. And that's biblical. We shouldn't allow the enemy to discourage us over our own shortcomings or our unintentional mistakes. Even the Apostle Paul, he said, forgetting... Those things which are behind, he pressed toward the mark that was set before him. When he was talking about those things that were behind, he was referring to those things in the past that God had forgiven him for. We cannot forgive ourselves of our sins. Even in Romans 7, we read where Paul was speaking of his struggle and his frustration. He tried to forgive himself before he met Christ. He tried to justify himself by keeping the law. And it was... It's frustrating to him. He says the things that he wanted to do, he couldn't do, and the things that he he didn't want to do, he ended up doing anyway, because he was trying his own strength to justify himself, to forgive himself. He summed up his frustration in the 24th verse. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? So he realized in his own strength and his own efforts. He can do anything to forgive himself. But then in verse 25, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul realized, you know, before he met Christ on that road to Damascus, he was trying to do it in his own strength. But we know after Paul was converted, he realized it was the Lord that would give him victory. It's the Lord that forgives us of our sins. We can't. Forgive ourselves. Nothing in Scripture supports that idea. You know, we can excuse ourselves. We can justify ourselves, but we cannot forgive ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So again, we cannot forgive ourselves. No other man can forgive us of our sins. There's this other idea, and many will say if you confess your sins to a priest or you confess it to a counselor or somebody else, you know that might assuage your guilt, but it certainly doesn't forgive your sin. Only Christ can do that. First Timothy 2.5 For there is one man and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus there's no other name under heaven whereby man must be saved. So we cannot forgive ourselves, but thank God Christ can forgive us. And the sun sets free, is free indeed. We don't have to do this on our own. Jesus can forgive us when we meet his conditions. Forgiveness is not a removal of consequences. You know, when you forgive somebody, it doesn't necessarily mean they're off the hook. It just means they're off our hook. You know, sometimes the offender may, may still have to face some consequences as a result of his actions. We've heard of many testimonies of people. They said after they were saved, the Lord showed them they needed to go back and make restitution and straighten up their past. Those were consequences for their actions. But when we forgive, we relinquish any desire to make them pay. We leave that with God. The Bible says, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay," saith the Lord. And when we pray for, them, we don't say, "Lord, yeah, bring out your vengeance on them." No, we pray that the Lord will be merciful to them, but we leave that up to God. You know, forgiveness is not a long, drawn out process. I've heard people say, "Well, I'm, I'm working toward forgiveness." Well, it doesn't take days and weeks and months and years. Forgiveness is a choice. And that happens in a moment. You think of all those testimonies of people that were saved and they stand on their feet and they say, I remember the moment. The moment Jesus saved me. And He forgave me. That's what it was. It was a moment in time. When we met the Lord's conditions, the Lord did it in an instant of time. Again, Forgiveness is not a process. It's a choice. You know, it says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This isn't describing a process that takes place over time. This is something instantaneous. We're saved and you know, the moment you were saved, that old burden of sin was lifted. You were brand new, and it didn't take a, a long time. It wasn't long and drawn out. Ephesians two, ends, two one says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That word quicken, the root r- word is quick. It happens instantly in a moment of time, and our forgiveness should be the same. It is an instant response, and it's a ch- It's a choice we make. Things that follow forgiveness may take some time. Reconciliation, restoration, rebuilding the trust that may have been broken. Those things take time, but the decision to forgive is an instant. The Word of God tells us how to forgive. Again, it says, in the same way that Christ forgave us, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So in the same way the Lord has forgiven us, that's the same forgiveness we need to extend to others. One old preacher said, the Lord forgave us three ways, freely, fully, and finally. That's true. And if we've experienced Christ's forgiveness, we need to forgive the same way. We need to forgive freely. The Word of God says, freely ye have received, freely give. You know, Jesus forgives us with no strings attached. The only thing He requires is a heart of repentance and honesty. Once we meet that criteria, He freely forgives us. He doesn't give us a long list of things we need to take care of before we're saved. Sometimes there's things we need to do after we're saved, but that's not a prerequisite for forgiveness. We give forgive freely as Christ has forgiven us freely. We're to forgive Fully. You know, when Jesus forgave us, aren't you thankful, He covered all of our past transgressions. He didn't extend partial forgiveness. That's why it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, when we forgive, if we've been forgiven, we need to do it freely and fully. And Jesus forgives us finally. What does Jesus do with our past sins when we've been forgiven and set free and delivered? Psalm 103, verse 12 says, He removes them as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah 43, 25, it says, He blots out our transgressions and He won't remember our sins for His sake. You know... Sometimes we hear that Jesus casts our sins in the sea of his forgetfulness. You won't find the sea of forgetfulness mentioned in the Bible. For Jesus to forget, as we know, is intellectually impossible. He's omnipotent. He can't forget. But when it says he won't remember our sins, it means he won't remember them against us. Those sins have been cleansed and blotted out. He's expunged the record, and we stand before the Lord as if we've never sinned. When He sees those past sins, He remembers them as forgiven sins. You know, I remember I heard a story one time about a man who owned an office, and he kept this big filing cabinet in his office, and he kept every record in that office from years and years, every invoice, and that, that cabinet, that filing cabinet, it just kept getting fuller and fuller till pretty soon you couldn't even shut the doors. And it became a hazard. The poor secretary had her desk right by that filing cabinet. She thought one day it was going to topple on top of her. So finally she went. She said, sir, can we please clean out the filing cabinet? And he thought about it. He said, okay, clean it out. Just do me one favor before you throw anything away and make a copy of everything. Well, I wonder, if, is that how we forgive? I'll forgive him, but I won't forget. And every time he does something, those past things are going to come up. No, that's not how we're to forgive. We're for, for to give freely and fully, finally, as Christ forgave us. You know, forgiveness is a powerful thing. Forgiveness frees us from guilt and condemnation. It says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's also been said we're most like Christ when we forgive. What happens when we refuse to forgive or we withhold forgiveness? Well, the Word of God gives us some very strong warnings. Mark 11 Verse 25 and 26, it says, And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. When we refuse to forgive, we forsake our own forgiveness. And the end result of that is that there will be many who will stand before the Lord in an unforgiven condition. What an awful, awful price to pay. We know that uh, means eternal damnation because people refuse to forgive. If you withhold mercy, the Bible says, you'll face judgment without mercy. That's why Jesus also taught His disciples to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, our ability to be forgiven depends upon our willingness to forgive others. When we forgive, we want to do it for Christ's sake. Forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know, we want to forgive for the sake of others. You know, as long as you keep somebody in a debtor's prison... You take any ability away for them to ever be able to straighten things out or to make restitution or to uh, work toward reconciliation. As long as you keep them in prison, they can't do anything. So forgive for the sake of others. And forgive for your own sake. You know, when you forgive, I'll close with a little poem. It goes something like this. In choosing to forgive today, I set two prisoners free. One of them was you, and the other one was me. You know, that's what forgiveness does. It sets two people free. It sets the debtor free. It sets the jailer free. It sets the one who is burdened by guilt and shame, that debt, it sets them free. And the one who's bound by bitterness and resentment and anger, the jailer, it sets them free. And best of all, it sets the Lord free. It sets the Lord free to begin to work and move. It gets the obstacles out of the way. It allows us to have a conscience void of offense between God and man. It sets the record clean. It opens up the way for reconciliation and revival. Those lines of communication are reopened between us and the Lord. It's the greatest gift we could ever receive is to be forgiven of our sins. It's a priceless gift. And the wonderful news is it's a gift the Lord offers. Even this morning, you know, you don't have to wait till Christmas to receive that gift. You can do it this very day if the Lord is speaking to your heart. If you haven't received his forgiveness, I want to encourage you. Bow, fall to your knees, come to these altars of prayer, cry out to the Lord, confess your sins, and the Lord will forgive you if you're struggling to forgive. Do it for Christ's sake. Remember what He forgave. And the Lord, if you provide the willingness, God will give you the grace and the ability to do it. And the Lord can set you free this morning. Let's sing 657. These altars are open.